Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This podcast contains description of violence and a few F-bombs are dropped normally by me. Therefore, it's not suitable for children. I'm criminologist... Anne McMahon, and welcome to Stalking Australia. Hello, listeners, and welcome to the penultimate episode of this season of Stalking Australia. Today, we will be talking with journalist and author Megan Norris. Megan is a freelance writer, author, and journalist with over 30 years' experience. She is also the author of Love You to Death, Look What You Made Me Do, and on Father's Day, to name a few. Good morning, Megan. Thank you so much for being with me today. For our listeners, with our guest this morning is Megan Norris, author of Look What You Made Me Do. We're going to be talking stalking, yes, Megan. Stalking, my favourite subject. Mine too, which uh, our farmers find us uh, both crazy, but there you go. Megan, I was looking at a great feature that you did in the Australian Women's Weekly in December last year, and you've gone through various stalkers and the different definition of stalking. Can we maybe just go through these one at a time and just if you want to tell us the story of the first one, who is Damon Stevens? What was his story? Damon Stevens' story is quite fascinating because... uh, as opposed to a lot of the other stalking cases in our group, he is selected a totally random stranger. Who the, the poor woman had no idea she was being stalked. She had no idea she was on the, on his radar even. And this interest, this obsession, was sparked by a, a fleeting glimpse of her getting on and then off his tram in Melbourne one day. And that was enough to put her on the radar of what would become one of Australia's most incorrigible stalkers and most dangerous. So she had never seen him. She'd never had a relationship with him. She had no idea he had even seen her on the no. train. So what happened then? What happened was she was then in sight. And uh, whether he'd followed her afterwards repeatedly until he sort of knew her movements is not clear from the uh, coverage of the case. But what happened was he then pops up. next. The first time she became aware of his existence was where he popped up on her course at a Melbourne University. So I find that really strange. How would he know what course she was in? And then the time and the trouble it would take to then go and enroll in that course is just bizarre. Yes. And well, it's not, I, I, my assumption, I haven't, uh, there's no sort of clarity as to what actually happened, but I'm guessing he's trained very swallowed and found out who she is yeah. somehow and hung around the campus very likely. But he enrolled. He wrote in on another university psychology course, which I found particularly interesting. Ironic. Yeah. Yes. And uh, she would be looking over her shoulder from that meeting for the next five years without knowing. So it started off with befriending her on Facebook. And uh, at first, she, you know, 
it's sort of not nice to be rude to people and people often accept friends that they don't really want exactly they have chatted with them on the course but as a classmate she accepted his um facebook uh, request and then he started relentlessly bombarding her with facebook posts emails and started clearly was monitoring her because he would make remarks or comments or post images that show he knew where she had been he knew what she was doing and when she became unnerved by that and i i've stopped him being a Facebook friend, he then would assume aliases and join her under aliases. So mm. he had a strange, a number of strange aliases from, I think it was Marty Fly or something. Oh. Or, no, Jimmy Fly. Jimmy Fly. So it, that's that started. When she, he was secretly photographing her, but that was because she rejected him. So the moment his interest was not returned and she flatly rejected him, then he's on the crusade for revenge exactly. and he's going to get into her life. So then the posts that, that had been pleasant became menacing posts and threatening posts. So he started to watch her. So he, uh, he she took out a court order and he began a crusade where he vowed to devote his entire life, the rest of his life, to destroying hers. And this is, this is someone she's never met. This is just, it's just crazy. Well, she'd met him by now, so by now she knows who he is. Oh, okay. So by yeah. her course, but she, someone that was a, a stranger until that point. Right. So she, he warned her, you shall become the hunter. And she did. She became his, his target, and he became the total predator, stalked her everywhere. So she took out an intervention order, which you'll know from the stalking cases you've studied. He immediately ignored. And that often that, that increases the terror. Once the stalker gets enraged, that you've then gone and taken out an avial or and and kind of it can increase the terror of the stalker. And it escalated in his behaviors too. So it became nastier, darker, more frightening. So he 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 then started flashing the court order, his stalking escalated, he started anonymously and um, harassing her with chilling threats, she knew it's him, mm-hmm. about torturing or killing, or killing her and harming her family. So he was jailed for that briefly. Oh, right. So he, he had a stint behind bars and he reappeared. So this started in 2011. So by 2017, he was back in circulation, so he'd been in jail. So he comes back with a vengeance, blaming his victim for his revenge crusade and describing the relationship that didn't exist between them as a failed romance. So he's obviously got this erotomania thing going down, you know, because of the different categories of stalker. He falls into that category, sort of revenge stalker, erotomania, intimacy, seagull, and all rolled into one. But by October 2017, he started threatening to slice her face off on her online blog. And he said he was going to slice her face off and film himself and post it online, showing him doing that, which is a pretty graphic and outward thing to threaten. So she was truly frightened by that. Instead, he attacked his own mother in an attack so savage, it was escalated, that he almost bit her thumb off. Then he burned her house down and photographed himself in the flames uh, in a video, which he then immediately sent to his victim, saying, basically, I'm coming for you next. Look what I've done, you're next. And, uh, you just could not imagine the terror. I mean, this is serious. This, he's totally. not... He's actually doing what he says he's going to do. Yes, and totally spiralling because he then went off. The police were then looking for him. So obviously she's reported, the mother has reported him to the police. 
The fire's been reported to the police. Mm-hmm. The mother's attacked. The victim's then on the phone to the police because she's getting these terrifying messages. He then goes off on a rampage around Melbourne where a leading attack to backpackers, two complete strangers in the street, so he attacked them. And I'm pretty certain he stabbed them. He randomly stabbed two men in the street and totally escalated. So that he was eventually arrested and the police did a raid of his home and they uncovered all sorts of things. So they uncovered pornographic material, thousands of images of the victim, oh. thousands of images of the victim. And he was jailed for a minimum of eight years in 2018, in August 2018. So obviously he's charged now with a string of offences, including stalking, arson, and multiple serious assaults. But what was interesting, the judge, Lisa Hammond, when she sentenced him, she observed that he remained a danger. He was as dangerous the day he was jailed yeah. as he'd been for, for those entire, for that entire time. Yeah. And she said it was a risk that would require, would require careful management upon his release because he'd probably fester. Absolutely. In prison because he's on that crusade for revenge. And now he feels he's the victim. Yes. Yeah. And the jail time he did previously didn't stop him. It didn't did it? stop him. As soon as he came out, he started again. So is this eight years going to stop him? Probably not. No. But, and the judge observed that. You yeah. know, they had psychiatric reports done on him. And you know, there were some interesting findings in the psychiatric report that he'd got various psychiatric disorders, including that sort of delusional behaviour, you know, delusions, borderline personality disorder. It was more complex than that, so we put it borderline yeah. personality disorder, a bit more complicated. Yeah. So uh, oh. the whole the whole sort of burgled it a lot. Yeah. So uh, that poor girl in eight years' time will be back to live in hell again. Yeah. Who's the next one that we have there? The next one I looked at, I think in that picture, I looked at a number of aspects of stalking because it's a serious crime in every state and territory in Australia, as you know. One in five women will be stalked or were, were stalked at the time. I wrote this in 2018. I wouldn't mind betting the biggest part of it. I would think so. Two and I wonder how those thoughts, um, what the listeners would think of those thoughts, would they be surprised? I think. Well, I think it's underreported, so I'd say that it's, I'm sure you agree, that it's very likely higher than that because Definitely. especially the stranger stalker, who are you going to report? Exactly. And how seriously is it taken if you go and say, I think I'm being stalked, but I don't know That's who right. And you get a bunch of players, so you get soft flush toys, like, you know, which is often the beginning mm. when they try to romanticise and then when they're mm. rejected, that's when the stalking starts. But what are you going to go? You get a couple of dolls and a couple of bunches of players. You're going to go to the police and go, I think I'm being stopped. No, you're not, are you? No, it's got a nuisance value. It's exactly. rather than attacking and frightening back. Exactly, I yeah. Think. But what, what, what I found at the time I did this, I looked into it, one in five women was stalked in 2018. I think that would surprise listeners. I know we're saying it's yeah. probably more, but before I started looking into stalking, I had no idea no. the numbers were that high. And I reckon for women it would be high. I, I, I agree. More than one in five if you count wives after separation, being stalked by ex-partners, yep. and one in 13 men are stalked every year. Yeah. And the reason I think the figures are higher is a lot of the women I've interviewed, I'd say, were you being stalked before the marriage, in domestic violence yes. cases? Were you stalked beforehand? And they would say no. And then when they describe the behaviours, you know, turning up outside the house in the car, turning up by coincidence at a restaurant they live with a new man, mm. They're being stalked. Absolutely. So I'd say that's the higher figure. But one in 13 men, too. So that means they're often stalked by other men 
because then you can't ruin an ex-wife's life. Yep. Or they're stalked by women, because women are quite encouraging with stalkers also. But the typical stalker is a man in his 40s, and the typical victim is female, typically. But men are also victims, and when they're stalked, it's usually by women who are absolutely encouraging once they're rejected. Yes. So those tend to be different. They tend to fix on authority figures like counsellors or lawyers or principals at the yes. children's primary school or someone in a, or doctors, someone in a position of authority, or although it most commonly is a rejected a partner that's rejected. Yeah. It's more commonly. But uh, you know, and I guess by at a time when the internet offers greater anonymity, it also offers instant access into all people's lives. Yes. And uh, when where there's spyware and GPS tracking available, cyber stalking is increasing. So you know, and the victims are just as likely to be children. Oh, really? So you might have heard that. Yeah, the victims. And you get predators stalking children. Yes. Um, and you get um, boys or young men stalking girls that they're quite interested right. in. Watching them. Girls stalking other girls. Mm. Wanting to know what they're, they're being left out of, right. excluded from, you know, all that sort of thing. So I think cyber stalking is something area we're going to see. You know, years ago, you'd have to actually physically follow in your car and turn up outside that restaurant. Yeah. Now you can report Facebook, stalk book. Mm-hmm. They can be stalked through social media, yeah. watched through their Instagram accounts. So that was highlighted in, this, in the Lampkin Inquiry in the UK. Mm-hmm. So in the UK, I'm sure you're aware of the Susie Lampkin case. In the UK, Susie Lampkin was a real estate agent who in the late 80s went to show an interested party around the house that she had for sale and was never seen again. And the police now believe that she was stalked and murdered by a guy who was stalking her called Mr. Kipper. Sort of strange. He was uh, stalking her. He was stalking her. He was in touch with her and they believe she was murdered by the stalker called Mr. Kipper. She'd never been seen since. But her parents established the Susie Lampley Foundation. And that foundation in the UK has done extensive um, work into disappearing people, but into stalking in relation to homicide in particular. So we now know, I think here the figures were something like 4% or 2% of homicides have a stalking background, which was utter rubbish. I was a court reporter and believe me, stalking featured in many of the cases I did. And they're now saying it's something like 90%. 90. 90%. It features in 90%. The Lampkin Inquiry identified that. Right. And in your book, Look What You Made Me Do, a lot of the, uh, well, just give us a praise of what the book, well, Look What You Made Me Do was a book that stemmed from an earlier book that I'd done, a previous book that I'd done. And the original book I wrote was called On Father's Day. And it was a, a typical, it was a revenge murder committed by um, three children were murdered by their father. It's a well-known case. Robert Farquharson, the father, drove his three little boys into a dam on Father's Day and left them to drink and swam away, left the car to sink with the children in it, and he swam away. And the children were, were small children. I think the youngest was two at the time. The little boy was seven, and the older boy, I think, was nine or ten. And he swam away and left the children to drown so that he could deliver that dreadful news, his wife, to his ex-wife in person to punish her for ending a unrewarding relationship. I asked Cindy when I did that book, when, when I looked extensively into it, had she ever been stalked? Because it's a common feature in separation. And she said never. She'd never been stalked. But when we looked at the background of that case, he had been turning up at the house at all hours. 
barging in on barbecues that she was having with a new man, and he was there. She, she accepted where he was. As a result of that, I interviewed other women who'd had their children murdered during the context of a marital breakdown by their ex-partner, by the children's biological father. And in each one of those cases, I think I did seven for that book. So I did a follow-up book because originally I'd written the sort of attached chapter, what we found out about stalking in the context of on the side of children and marital breakdown. But it stood alone in that subject. It sort of got lost in Cindy's story. And I didn't want to do those. I wanted those women to have a voice. That sort of slotting them in as a random chapter toward the end of the book. It didn't work in the book. Mm-hmm. And it didn't do their stories justice. So I don't want to take away from Cindy's story. But at the same time, there was another story to be told. So I did a separate book called Look What You Made Me Do, where I looked at seven different cases with a stalking background where children had been murdered as a revenge crew to punish. The real target was not the children, although they're the ones that died. They became collateral damage in a crime where the mother was the real target of the anger. And in every one of those cases, they had been stalking. But the mothers didn't really feel they had been stalked. Yes, most most of them did. Most of them recognised after the event, after the children's deaths, that they, and some in some cases before, some, some, well, most of those women have taken out intervention orders mm. to stop threatening behaviour, phone calls, threatening phone calls, people turning up, you know, the ex turning yeah. up in his car, following them, following new partners. So that, that's the sort of trigger where, for where the stalking escalates, where the woman then has a new partner. And that partner also becomes the target yeah. of relentless harassment. Yes, a lot of them knew they'd been stalked. One woman, for example, Michelle Stepp, whose little girl that came was murdered by her ex in the early 90s. This was the time before stalking legislation. Mm-hmm. Stalking wasn't even recognised yeah. as a crime then. And Michelle, to her horror, discovered that her ex-partner, she moved away from Perth to live in country, in country WA. And she thought the ex, who'd been quite vengeful, had sort of come around to the idea that she wasn't coming back. He even offered to help her move house. But in doing so, he used his technical skills to install listening devices around mm. the property so that, unknown to Michelle, he was monitoring where he moved mm. and had her under close surveillance, which is a typical feature of stalking. Yeah. And so he progressed from that to somehow breaking into the house and installing himself in the ceiling cavity. So he was up in the roof of their house, unbeknown to her, what? where he was for seven weeks, probably up to around, I think, three months, hiding oh. in the roof, and coming down when she wasn't there to use the toilet and bathroom, have a shower. How and terrifying. Yeah. And that came to light. Because she already knew he was stalking her because he knew things about her like he couldn't have known. She couldn't. She didn't know how he knew. Mm. And uh, she, he knew she'd enrolled on a new uni course and was progressing study. He knew she had a new name or fleetingly had a relationship. And then it turns out she'd gone out with little children. She had a baby and a little girl. And she got in her handbag and she went back into the house to get her handbag and heard the bathroom upstairs. And she heard the toilet flushing. Goodness. And she knew immediately what that was about. Went straight to the police. She knew it was him. She knew it was him. It could only be him. Went straight to the police, reported him. The police went around and arrested him in the rich space. Uh, and it was clear from rappers and whatever, and the smell, but he'd been there a long time. Oh. And they sort of took pity on him, which sort of astonishes me. But in those days, as I say, stalking wasn't recognised as a crime. 
And they sort of viewed him as a poor dad driven to distraction because he loved his wife who didn't want him so much and he missed his children so much that he'd resorted to hiding in her space. If that had been a stranger, and yeah. a total stranger had broken into your house, and she'd been separated from him about two years, Goodness. 18 months, you know, if a total stranger was found hiding in your space, they'd be locked up. Absolutely. And charged. Absolutely. He wasn't charged with anything. And when he came down feeling a bit shamefaced, he did a bit of a soft story and said, I feel dirty. Before you arrest me, can I use the shower? So they allowed him to use the shower, take a shower and team himself up before they took him into custody, where basically he got away with a slap on the wrist. I just find that incredible. I do. Unbelievable. And he then returned straight back to the street where his ex-wife was living and set up camp in the bush on the vacant block over the road where he could watch her from over the road. Goodness. And, of course, that culminated in him eventually taking the little girl on an access visit. He, the baby was too young to be in, and she argued successfully in court that the child should not be allowed to go. He was too young and needed his mother. It was a small baby. And um, he murdered his little toddler daughter, drove into the country. It was a murder suicide. Murdered the little girl. Uh, murdered himself. I think it was with, uh, you know, put the coat hose into the car. Oh, yes. Yeah. Carbon monoxide poisoning. But to add to Michelle's pain, he kept a death diary, a death journal. So he recorded her, uh, the little girl's dying moments in that what? journal for his ex-wife to find. What? Mm. What? Sound recorded it? Well, no, he recorded it on the journal. The, in oh, the journal as the little girl was dying and then he was dying and left that journal in the car, knowing that the police would find it and that would be into evidence. And Michelle would have to know every last detail. Possibly. He wrote it there. Yeah. That is, yeah. oh, that's disgusting. And I think when he headed off, it was, a, 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 it was a dreadful crime because he committed that crime, he abducted the little girl right before Christmas. Right before Christmas. So she'd got all unwrapped Christmas presents oh. that were never opened. And, and he, the day he took off with the little girl, he was unraveling it. He posted Michelle the soundtrack "Sweet Child of Mine" oh, really? from somewhere, and 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 he posted um, part of the part of talking was to maximise humiliation and public damage mm. and to cause destruction in the world. Mm. I think he sent photos of the breastfeeding one of the babies to a former employer or to her employer what? to try and maximise the suffering. You know, the humiliation. Look what you've done, and that's why I called the book "Look What You Made Me Do." One yeah. of the husbands he'd also stalked and murdered his. A small daughter, and he stabbed with a large ornament and life was a tiny little thing. Oh. On an excess, you know, the mm. took off and led police on a high speed police chase over Melbourne, where he ultimately killed her whilst calling mum to say, That's it, you've done it, look what you made me do. No. She's gone, I'm going to kill her. And then he rings mum, posts things on Facebook saying it's done, and then rings mum back and says, I've done it, I don't know what I've done, look what you've made me do. And so we use that. Of the title of the book and that sort of being the victim like Damon Stevens in the um in the stalking of the stranger that he saw on the tram. Yeah. He believed he was the victim. Yeah. She projected he was the victim. She was the one that had done this to him. Yeah. And he was going to slice her face off because of what she'd done to him. You know, in the same way these fathers at some given time in the breakup or before had said, well you made me do that. Look what you made me yeah. do. Now yeah. look what I've done. Or look what you've done. Yeah. So it was a very common sort of theme where there was a stalking background in nearly all of those cases. Right. Let's have a look at some um, celebrity stalking cases, Megan. 
Okay, well, I, as I was saying to you in our chat before, I've, um, I used to work for a celebrity there. So often celebrities would find themselves with a stalker around red carpet time, which we cynically used to feel as a sort of publicity stunt by the publicists to try and get some attention in the media before, before Oscar time. But sadly, there were a lot of um, celebs who were stalked by some fairly heavy duty yeah. and dangerous stalkers. Yeah, yeah. So, they they vary them. They, we put them in different categories. And I know that psychiatrists categorise them. You know, stalking is recognised behaviour, constellation of behaviours, persistent, unwanted, intrusive behaviour. Um, and they were they were also slightly different, but the, there were different categories. And one of them was revenge or vengeful stalkers, resentful revenge stalkers. Mm-hmm. So one of the most famous celebrity stalkers would have to be Mark Chapman. Who stalked John Lennon and murdered John Lennon outside his new yeah, apartment sadly. in December 1981? He was a classic resentful stalker. So he murdered the star purely to achieve fame. That was his ultimate goal. He would become famous for murdering John Lennon. Yeah. Uh, he'd been obsessively idolized. Yeah, it was irony because he obsessively idolized John Lennon and had fears. It was his biggest failure. And he'd done that for years until he read Anthony Fawcett's Lennon biography, One Day at a Time. And after reading that, he became fixated over the perceived hypocrisy of the star's life. You know, here's a star who preaches love, peace and simplicity while living a life of luxury yeah. in Manhattan. So but there was a, an element there too. So then he becomes revengeful where he, he stops adoring him and wants to punish him of the hypocrisy. Yeah. And there was a case of sort of stalker fusion, you know, where a stalker, the boundaries become so blue that they almost become, they morph into their victim. Mm. In this case, he married um, a Japanese lookalike, like Yoko lookalike. He looked like John Lennon mm. at that time. And he caught a plane all the way from his home in Hawaii, all the way to New York, specifically to murder John Lennon. Goodness. And I think that footage was haunting. I've seen the footage of John Lennon signing the autograph yes. for him. Yes. And then she yes. shoots him dead. But Chapman was depressed, suicidal, and mentally ill, which is sort of common in those dangerous ones. And he was actually, at the time I wrote the feature in 2018, he'd come up for parole yet again and was denied for the 10th time because, like Damon Stevens, uh, he was recognised as uh, as an ongoing risk. Yeah, so danger. He might find a fix with a new celeb. Do you think he'll ever get out? No. I, I don't believe he'll ever get out. So, you know, he was a sort of deranged and dangerous stalker. But Jodie Foster had a similar stalker. Yeah. And I think his name was, I think it's the name actually, It might have been Hinkley. And Jodie Foster stalker. Yeah, John Hinkley. John Junior. Junior. And he he had an obsessive fixation with Jodie Foster after the film Taxi Driver. Yeah. So she was only a kid then. So how many years did that, that um, obsession last? Because... He then sort of monitored her, had her under surveillance. He knew that she'd gone to university. He knew that she'd gone to uh, to Yale. And he started, he enrolled on the writing course and started bombarding her with letters, poems and phone calls of a sort of romantic nature. Yeah. And then when the romance he was fantasising over failed to eventuate, he embarked on a crusade to get justice or to get easy. So he decided he would gain her attention by assassinating President Reagan, which is a bizarre sort of bizarre. out there way to get her notice. But Ronald Reagan survived that attempt on his life. I do remember that. He was shot, yeah. 
and Hinckley pleaded not guilty to attempted assassination by reason of mental insanity, and his reports revealed he had a narcissistic schizoid personality disorder with borderline passive-aggressive traits. And not so passive-aggressive. He served his sentence in a secure site facility and was released in 2016. He was released? Yeah, he was released. So how long had he done? Oh, when did he try to kill him? It was in the 90s, wasn't it? The 80s, I think. The 80s, the late 90s, the early 90s. Yeah. But he'd got mental issues. He was undergone psychiatric treatment and stuff in prison, but because he did it it in a secure psych facility. Uh, That actually surprises me. I know. I wouldn't want to run into a dark lane with him. It's fairly aggressive stuff. Look at um, the other people, um, George Harrison. Who had a deluded stalker? Yes, yeah. broke it broke into, into his house. Luxury right. in the UK and tried to just stab him and stab his partner Barbara Bach at the yes. time, didn't he? Yes. So that was uh, that. Sort of was a different one. And then uh, often intimacy seekers will start the intimacy seeker category stalker will stalk a celebrity. So they see them in a movie or watch them on the telly and think they're talking. She's talking to me. Right. And then that, so Britney Spears had, I think, someone, her stalker was putting porno material on her site. And I think really? one of the others was Shania Twain. I think Shania Twain had a had a celebrity stalker. She had a stalker. And I thought that one of them had, the stalker turned up at the grandmother's funeral. I think it might have been Britney Spears. Really? The stalker turned up at the grandma's funeral. Shania Twain had a stalker. And I think he was bombarded with his stuff. He was um, Monica Sellers, the tennis player. Oh. Was that the one that stopped her? Yes. Was he stopped? I didn't realise yeah, that. Yeah, he'd been stalking her. And I'm just looking here because I made a note of it for you. Um, Britney Spears was bombarded with porno messages from a crazy admirer who bombarded the internet site. This is Diana, of course. She, she had a famous stalker. She had. Dozens of unwanted admirers. Really? So you see, it crosses boundaries. It's not if wow. you're 25 something unemployed person. Yeah. Dr. Klaus Wagner, stalk Lady Diana, such a And Monica Sellies pulled out of the tennis circus after being stabbed by a face stalker during a tennis tournament. I remember seeing that at the time when it happened. And Martina Hingis was stalked by a besotted, delusional Aussie fan who followed her around the world, claiming he'd fallen in love with her and wanted to propose. Uh, there are other ones like presenters. Presenters are quite common. Yeah. So uh, because, this, like you say, yeah. people think they are talking yeah. to them because they're looking right down the yeah. camera. So Liz Hayes, the TV presenter, oh, yeah. sixty minutes was stalked for ten years by a man who hired a private investigator to track her down. Really? He later denied in court that his actions didn't. He said he didn't. His actions did not make him a pervert. Oh. because he had a genuine love for her. So that erotomania, that sort yeah. of fantasy. Romance that existed only in his head. Yeah. Or was uh, there. Then Jermaine Greer, the feminist writer, she was stalked by a female fan who broke into a country home in the UK and held a prisoner. Really? So, you know, I, I, when I went to it, there were loads. Steven Spielberg, he, the director, he was um, uh, the subject of a planned attack by his stalker who was arrested outside his mansion with a hunting knife and handcuffs. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And who else? Who um, would want to be famous? Who? Not me. Who would want to be friends? And Brad Pitt, of course, had his uh, harmless but persistent and very intrusive stalker who he came home one night and found her in bed wearing his pyjamas. That's right. So she was a typical intimacy seeker, but usually intimacy seekers are pretty harmless. And if you remove yourself from the radar or they're fired from telly, you know, and you 
a new personality would be the new fix. Right. Yeah. So that's fairly that's sort of fairly commonplace. But it's a chilling role call. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. It's terrifying. Okay, Megan, we might end up with an Australian flavour. What was the story of Jan Navratil? Well, Jan Navratil was a London art gallery owner who in February 2018 flew 10,000 miles across the world from London to Australia to stalk his ex-girlfriend Sophie Davies for dumping him. That's commitment. That is total commitment. So he really went, no, she had no idea. So she'd taken a break for time get away from him because he'd been bombarding her with suicidal messages after their relationship ended. He stole her passport. Wow. He secretly photographed her and he even sent her while she she took to go off on a holiday to Australia to get back. And he sent her snapshots of himself wearing her clothes. What? Yes, so this is still confusion, you know, where he's wearing yeah. her clothes and sort of more no boundaries anymore. He's sort of all got a bit blurred and he's sort of becoming his victim. Yeah. And it's just confusing with who's the victim here. Yeah, right. Sees himself as a victim. Yeah. When she flew to Sydney, he followed, and he turned up on the beach at Bondi and said, "You know, hello, <laughs> on the beach in Bondi where she was sunbaking." Of course, she rejected him again. So then he hacked into a Facebook account. Mm. So back in the UK, his stalking earned him a four-month community order. But see, that to me is a real red flag when someone has stalked someone that persistent for so long that they're prepared to catch a plane and follow her to the ends of the earth. Absolutely. That red flag should say that a three-month curfew in the evening and an indefinite, mind you, he does have an indefinite restraining order, but we know they don't mean a thing. Don't mean a thing. They don't mean a thing. As so one of, one of the ladies that I interviewed said, an intervention order doesn't stop a bullet. doesn't. And the Susie Lampley Trust, you know, the, the research that they commissioned, but, you know, it's so big in the UK and the recognition is greater. So I think they recognise the problem that it's become. Yeah. So in the UK, they have National Stalking Week, Awareness Week, because it's big enough to warrant that. Yeah. Whilst the police are pretty educated about the danger posed by intimate stalker violence, you know, where um, a relationship's broken down or there's been domestic violence, especially. Which is what we all think of yeah. as stalkers, yeah. really. So most people understand the danger yeah. between the, in a marital, in the time where there's a separation. And the rejected partner will stalk his ex-partner for revenge, and that can escalate to homicide. There's a massive link. That's recognised. So the police are proactive on that, but there's sort of a feeling, and the foundation research showed that that when it comes to strangers going to the police to report strangers stalking, they're not taking the seriously. That's right. And yet, what they found there are red flags. One is persistently breaking intervention orders. That's a, a big pure red flag. Completely. Ignore an intervention order from the court, you're a danger. You mean you actually need nothing up by law. Absolutely, <laughs> because you have you show no regard for the law. Yeah. You don't care. Well, it's so, my property, I'll do what I like. Exactly. Property, property, that's the word. power. Absolutely. You know? And uh, so, you know, they'll they'll just stalk people to the ends of the world. So whilst that's recognised as a trick right now, stranger stalking isn't. And yet you look at all the people like John Lennon, yeah. stalked by a stranger so he celebs. And poor woman on the tram. Yes. Talk by a stranger. So you sort of see that, those red flags. And so what we're saying is now there needs to be greater training of police in the front line. Yeah. On the front desk. You know, in the community policing. Absolutely. To understand, to take it seriously, because one of the dangers too is if it's gone over a long time and hasn't, and it's escalated and hasn't been stopped. Yeah. Or stopped. Yeah. So that's a, a serious 
red flag too. What you just said about front desk is uh, what I've been saying throughout this podcast. If you're being stalked and you're terrified, what's the first thing you do? You ring the police mm-hmm. or you go to the police station. Yes. The first person you see is behind a desk and they're not trained. They're not trained. They to have taken seriously. Absolutely. And my point has been someone on the front desk has to be up to date in their training with this because they're the first point of contact. And so often if they're not taken seriously, the, the victim gives up. So what's the point? And it continues. Yes. Of course, it continues. And what they're saying, I know that the Foundation in the UK found crucial behaviours, which are instant red flags, a fixation or obsession with the victim, threats to kill. If they've made threats to kill, you know, you've got a problem with You've got to take it seriously. Constantly photographing and filming the victim or keeping the victim under close surveillance, repeated breaches of intervention is obviously. Yeah. But it's not necessarily the severity of the stalker's action. You know, so here you've got a Damon Stevens threatening to slice the face off. That's pretty extreme. Absolutely. So it's not always the severity, but it's the persistent nature of it. That's right. That is, you know, it's, it's the perpetrators of their emotional journey as they head to a crisis point. That's such a good point. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's that. So what the UK inquiry tells us is that some stalking behaviours are key indicators for future harm. Yeah. And homicide. And homicide being the culmination of future harm. And, it, and they're saying that the risk of murder increases when the stalker is known to have a borderline personality disorder. And I say that with the greatest respect because there are a lot of people out there who have borderline personality disorders that will never stalk anyone or hurt anyone. Of course, yeah. That was what so, yeah, yeah, so we know that. Yeah. But if you've got a combination of things like a narcissistic borderline personality disorder, where a sense of entitlement, you've got a problem, or a head injury, or, yes. or ADHD, or ADHD, ADD thrown in the mix. And yeah. you've got these other things happening, or a mental, mental illness thrown in the mix. The risk increases. Yeah. Allowing the risk for potential harm yes. increases. Because, you know, that part of the frontal lobe that controls impulsive behaviour yeah. with ADD. And often when they, they, they interview people in Melbourne, the, uh, the three doctors that set up, the shrinks that set up the First, World's first stalking and threat management centre. They studied loads of stalkers in jail and loads of their victims. And, you know, when you find that they've got frontal lobe impairment or some kind of head injury and ADD, poor impulse control, feelings of revenge and rejection, it's a cocktail. Yeah. It's a lethal, potentially lethal cocktail. That's exactly right. So, you know, all of that sort of, all of that comes into play. And, you know, um, Women can be just as bad. Yes. You know, they can be just as bad. So we've had usually their neighbours, you know, and I've had an added a neighbour who stalked the next door neighbour's family to get into the earth. It was a sort of eight-year campaign. She was like a social terrorist. And they're like women seem to be like pit bulls, they don't like go. And they go on for years. And um Scott, which is one of the our past chapters in this podcast, he's been stalked and still is being stalked. For 20 years to 20 someone, years. 20 years to someone that he has had no relationship with. She just fixated on him. He refused her advances. And that was it. 20 years. She's still hanging on like a pit bull, right? Well, his uncle. Judith Durham um, stalked, was um, stalked by a, a fan that she had some kind of a relationship with. It could have just been a friendly relationship responding to letters or a friendship of some kind and that fan when she was rejected because she was becoming excessive 
claimed she was being treated like a doormat and bombarded Jupiter and with doormats turning up, you know, doormats being delivered to us. Just yes. So that was another one. And Caroline Reed Robertson, who murdered, she's the killer in Melbourne, who there's a very well-known case uh, some years ago, and I wrote a book with the mother of the victim. Oh, wow. Uh, and that book was called Perfect Victim. And because Caroline Reed Robertson stalked a young girl, she, Caroline was only 19, uh, but for five years she'd been stalking the young girl over the road who was five years younger. So she murdered that 15-year-old girl over the road after, after stalking her for five years and coming up with a blueprint for murdering her and becoming a seizing her identity. So it's a crazy plan where she would kill Rachel Barber, murder her, and reinvent herself in her image and come back as Rachel Barber. So she'd applied for Rachel's birth certificate. She changed, she started, she drew a sketch of the perfect girl that she was going to become. And that perfect girl was going to be a mixture, a hybrid of Rachel, who was a young ingenue, you know, a young, pretty yeah. teenager, and a, and, a, and a multitude of young, pretty soap stars at the time, like uh, Katie Holmes off Dawson's Creek. Yeah. And uh, who was the other one? Claire Danes, who was in Romeo and Juliet. Oh, yes. So she sort of had a fantasy that she would lose a lot of weight. She was an overweight girl and reinvent herself in Rachel's image. In her mind, Rachel, the girl who lived opposite, was the perfect girl. And she, unfortunately, she carried out that blueprint to the letter. Wow. And she murdered Rachel, whose body was found some time later, from or two weeks later. And by which time she'd applied for the birth certificate and everything. But the interesting thing when I covered that trial, when she, when she was, well, she pleaded guilty and she was found, uh, she was convicted and jailed for uh, quite a heavy sentence for Rachel's murder. But uh, by the time she'd reached court, a data prison food had seen a, was a considerable amount of weight. She had grown the hair and dyed it a sort of way wow. curly comb. She'd been a very gothic, overweight girl. And she'd actually reinvented herself and had become. Girl of the fantasy. Still. She actually had, she was a tiny, slightly built girl like Rachel, her victim, and she'd become the girl, the fantasy alternate girl, as she named her James Southall. Now, Southall was Rachel's mother's maiden name. Wow. So she reinvented herself in a victim's likeness, and it's sort of through Rachel's death, she secluded. And this is while she's in prison, she's yes, done this. A murder, but she, there was a massive stalking background to that case where she kept meticulous notes so she's watching Rachel mm. you know Rachel has dyed her hair and you can't. Rachel has a new boyfriend oh. Rachel tilts her head when she laughs Rachel does this Rachel does that so she had her victim so how did she die Megan well she she was found with a telephone cable around her neck called Typhus so she, mm. she and she drafted a blueprint for murder which she thought she'd torn up and destroyed but the imprint was on the notebook through oh, the paper wow, so the right. police actually resurrected that blueprint yeah. eventually in the blueprint for murder, and she followed it to the letter right down to dumping Rachel's body in her shallow grave. And Rachel's body turned up on um, Caroline Robertson's father's property in the country at a place ironically called Kilmore, in oh. Victoria. And um, she had set out in her blueprint she was going to gouge Rachel's eyes up. Now, Rachel's body was too decomposed by the time it was found to, to, to conclusively say whether that had happened. But given that she followed all the other points in her blueprint. Right. She was a very um, methodical list writer. Mm. You have to assume she probably did that. And that was Rachel's, Caroline Lee Robinson's eyes would be the last thing that Rachel saw in her life, in her young life. Yeah. And she was quite fixated on Rachel's hypnotic eyes because she cut pictures out of a magazine of uh, other 
Auntie Louise, Katie Holmes's smile, Claire Danes's nose, Rachel Barber's eyes. Oh. So you sort of have to wonder. That's terrible. Well, on that really sad note, uh, I'd just like to thank you so much, Megan. It has just been my pleasure having you here and you and I being true crime fans could talk all day, but yes. we have to we have to leave yes. there. So thank you so much, Megan. My If you or someone you know is being stalked in Australia, please ring 1-800-RESPECT. That's 1-800-73-7732. In the United Kingdom, please ring Paladin National Stalking Advocacy Service on 020-3866-4107. And in the United States, please ring Stalking Resource Centre, National Centre for Victims of Crime Helpline on 800-FYI-CALL. That's 800-394-2255. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.